Well, we've said it many a time on this podcast, and it's starting to look like League of Ireland managers are getting sick of them too. Astro pitches. They're just not suitable for top-level football, are they? And if you disagree, go and have a word with Stephen O'Donnell. The fella in the green and white short. The fella in the green and white short. Keep the good man on the bench. Welcome to the Big Kickoff League of Ireland podcast in a week where the Premier Division is starting to take shape. Stephen O'Donnell has a few words to say about the Oriel Park pitch and we have a little update on the Athlone Town Manager. My name is Roy Shanahan and as always I am joined by Nathan Doyle. And Nathan, we've talked about Astro pitches in the League of Ireland, but not just in the League of Ireland, anywhere in any sort of football and we just don't like them. And it looks like managers in the League of Ireland start to think the same. Yeah, uh, not about its time, Roy, is it? It can be an absolute nightmare across any level. And we just happen to have the, the, probably the two worst uh, examples of an Astro pitch <laughs> in the Premier Division. Now, I was actually a fan of the, of the Astro pitch at first in the Brandywell Stadium when it got put down, but it's well past the sell-by date by now. But the Oriel Park pitch has always been um, a real, uh, real sticking point across the league, hasn't it? Even throughout the successes of uh, the Stephen Kenny era and things like that. So it also kicked off, Roy, didn't it? Uh, on after on Sunday, after the, the Sunday game between Dundalk and Derry City, an excellent two-all game. Interesting Nobody, game as well. Very interesting game. Yeah, Derry City now winless uh, in the last three. Uh, only one win out of the last five. And then Dundalk winless in the last four games. So two sides you thought would have been up there. Derry City obviously gone for the title and Dundalk in the European charge. But... Nobody's really talking about that. They're all talking about the comments of one uh, Stephen O'Donnell speaking after the game. So uh, O'Donnell feels that the Dundalk injury wars can be ultimately blamed on the impact of the Oriel Park pitch. As I said, it, it was horrendous uh, after the half day at the minute. He feels that there's no uh, there's no coincidence that both sides have a lengthy uh, injury list with them both playing on uh, on Astro, and that the Dundalk owners are in talks with investors with the uh, improvement of facility being the key reason for that we talked about that in the past as well like even just had to look at Sunday alone Roy like Dundalk have been ravaged injuries all season but Andy Boyle picked up an injury in the warm-up Greg Slogger I don't know if you've seen the game mate but really the highlights. it was it was a nothing sort of challenge at all but just seeing the way he came down on his ligaments and when you have like a natural such as that and on the day it's on, with the weather and things it's so hot it's so dry if you don't don't land perfectly look at me giving a bleeding lecture on landing and football. I haven't, haven't kicked the ball in years <laughs> but if you don't land properly like you know yourself on the balls of your feet your ligaments are getting absolutely battered completely so that's probably something that happened to Greg at the time but even if you look at the Dundalk squad like Pat Hoven some of that seemingly as much of a natural goal scorer he is and the Dundalk legend that he is he can't seem get to get off the ground and, and to get a consistent run of games over the past couple of years. Maybe mm-hmm. that's a factor. Same with Robbie Benson. You have someone like John Mountney who just cannot catch a break for love nor money with injuries. And he'd be seriously concerned about him coming back into the dark foul with the pitch in the state that it is. So, yeah, I, I think Steve is spot on with it. And I think it's something that is long, long overdue. It's obviously easier for Derry City to get the pitch sorted out with the Brandy Brown being council owned. So, like, the dark got to fork out themselves. Uh, to do any major improvements on the pitch that's a d- difficulty in the combat it's something that's not going to change overnight in Oriel Park but yeah completely understand where he's coming from I don't really, think really I don't think though it's got to do with the wear and tear and how you know it, like Dirty City we're talking about up in their pitch that it needs to be changed and etc 
Astro pitches, no matter what level they are, how good they are, they're still not the same as playing on grass and that's the be all and end all. You can get your, your studs or what have you caught in those and easily twist, break, you know, anything there at all. And as you said, ligaments, it's so easy to go over on your ankle or, or even your knee ligaments and just jar it. It's, it's not, listen, it's great for clubs around the country who need it to be able to play. But now at this level, at the top level football in the country, they should be able to look after their grounds. I mean, there's plenty to do. And we talked about with the West Coast of Ireland that gets battered. But, you know, and at the, it's like, I suppose, the, the, the pitch doesn't be too great over there. Would that be fair to say? It takes a while for the Sligo pitch to come together, Roy, and it's something that's, that's been uh, consistent over the past couple of years, where at the first couple of months of the season, like it's really, really difficult. Actually, funny enough, Stephen O'Donnell was very critical on the Sligo Rovers pitch uh, at the start of the 2022 just season. Like so it just There's just not a pitch man at all, <laughs> just not, not into the LP, just take a bowling or something. Um, so it's it, it can be something that take a time to come with the bad weather and when the, the summer season comes in, it does tend to improve. Which actually, funny enough, uh, I think this weekend the showgrounds is hosting the FEI um, Intermediate Cup between uh, Cockhill Celtic and uh, Rockmill. So surprised to see that uh, Slugger Rovers let that go ahead in this stage. This is normally the stage of the season where they're still trying to play catch up with, with the pitch that they have. So I know we'll be talking about it that should have come into place for certain regions, but it's just too much of a headache. It's too much of, as I said, like it, it, it doesn't even affect the injury. It affects the flow of the game and the bounce of the ball and, and basic things like that. It really does have a have a major impact. Um, I've seen a lot of people complaining as well. I'm probably saying that, that, that Stevie is using this as some sort of excuse, as, if, if you will, with the, the poor runner form the Dhaka going on. I've seen the Dhaka a couple of times this season and, Really, it is a poor standard of football that they are playing. I think some of the uh, recruits he brought in are just not up to up to scratch, and I think that's always going to be the risk when you do. We talked about this a lot as well when you when you recruit lads from uh, from international and bring them in, into the league itself. It can be really difficult to get a gauge, and I think some dark have struggled with that this season. But I think when you do, as we talked about earlier, the Stephen Kenny era, they had a much bigger squad back then. So when they had yeah. picked up these little knocks, they could easily rotate. And that's just not something that, that Stephen has it the fortune of having at the minute. So, no. and when you look when at Derry City, Nathan, look at Derry City when they're playing at home. Their home form isn't as good as their away form. They're not able to play the slick passing game that they're able to play on the grass. And that that has been something that has been sort of flagged. If that's the case, they can't just change the pitches, obviously, because there's it costs a lot of money. But like, are they in a, a position where? They have to change their style of football to play at home rather than play away. It doesn't make sense and it's it's counterproductive yeah. to what, you know, Rory is trying to do or Stephen is trying to do with their team. And the two of them are, are, are football and people. They do want their teams to get the ball down, do want them to play it around. But you can you can spray as much water as you want onto that. It's not really giving it the zip and it slows the game down really, really badly. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? We That's probably the one... This, like the, the positive fact that people point that is, oh well, home advantage with the Astro, you're used to that pitch, you're used to the, the way it bounces, the way the ball slows down, but as I just said, Derry City's home form in particular, I think they only have one win this season at home it's been dire, so they're not even getting that, that sort of, of advantage anymore and they're just picking up long term injuries like some of the ones even Derry City had had uh, throughout the past year or so, waiting on Michael Duffy and Kieran Harkin picked up a horrific injury last season too, and it's yeah, it's definitely a, a growing concern amongst them. 
One is in, right? And I'm going to throw this one out to you. I don't know if you kind of think it's stupid or not. I thought it was a little bit silly. But I thought it was an interesting question to think out. Anybody listening in, let us know. Do you think ever come a point where you should be punished for having an astral pitch in terms of fines and things like that? I think it's a step too far now. But it's a question I did see thrown around. Is it ever... Should they ever have you know the governing bodies like the FBI? I don't think, no, I don't, I don't think you should ha- you get punished, but I think what they do should do is give clubs four or five years to turn around and have to have a grass pitch. You know, just say, listen, there's no more Astro pitches on, on, on you can obviously they have Astros to train on if they want to do, you know, because to train on the pitch day after day after day after day, you do need to have Astro pitches in Ireland. That's just the way it is. Um, obviously, you want to be on the grass, but if the grass is not available, you can hop on an Astro and you can train there and you can do your ball work and all. Brilliant. But playing the game, as we said, it does take away from what teams are looking to do. That's why you don't see them over in England. You know, that's that's why they're not yeah. there, you know, because they'd, they'd rather be on the grass. It's, it, it's obviously Spain and France, no, they all get the weather and even a large part of England get the weather. But uh, Manchester doesn't have it, you know, <laughs> how much rain do they get? So I, I do think that they need to think strongly about it now. And, and I'd say ban them. I don't think they should be on, on any of the divisions, no matter what. I, I think that's the word to use, Roy, is ban them. I think... Like I said, the finding team was not my idea, so please don't at me on Twitter or anything. Um, but I think just if you want to go down the finding route, you're just sort of counterproductive of the argument, and if you're finding clubs like Dundalk that will have to pay out themselves or rely on an investor to come in and help them out with, with finances to improve their facilities. So if you're finding them X amount of money per week for playing on a national, it's going to make that ta- that really, really difficult task almost impossible. If there's constant fine coming in, and expecting them to get the phones together to fork out and to get the pitch up to the level that it should be at. Yeah, no, I think that's. I think I think we're all on the same page here, and I think it's great that the managers are starting to put a little bit of pressure on everyone, maybe to get rid of them. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen overnight. It may not happen in the next no, year or two, time. but I think it'll take a little bit of time with the money that it costs now to put one in. But listen, it's it's definitely what should go on if they want to improve the quality of the league. They need to get rid of them. Okay, we will go and we'll talk about some of the, the fixtures and, and the league tables and etc. in a little bit, maybe just after this. But we missed out on this last week, Nathan. Uh, Ireland and the UK submitted an official Euro 2028 bid. Uh, it shows how much of a shithouse Old Trafford is when Caseman Park gets a little nod and a little yeah. look in, doesn't it? <laughs> but like, I might be so, because... Old Trafford is a shithole. Like, we're both United supporters. We've both been to Old Trafford. It is. And it's, look, anyone that has any fading interest in, in the Glazer out moving and things like that knows exactly what's going on. Anfield missed out as well. Uh, the Emirates Stadium missed out. I think the only one we care about, Darroy, the one that's the most interesting to Irish fans, is uh, Crow Park missed out on the, uh, mm. the the one city, one stadium rule. Obviously, bar London, because London are going to be doing a lot of heavy lifting for the not only the bid as a whole, but especially for the, for the England side of the bids. Um, yeah, Crow Park missing out to the Aviva Stadium makes sense. Like with the FEI having your own venue there, you don't have to pay for rent in Crow Park, you don't have to pay for upgrades and yeah. having a massive crater on the north side that is uh, Hill 16. And Aviva is fine. There's not a bother on the Aviva, 51,000 or what have you. So that's perfect. I'm really interested in Caseman Park because if you go and have a look at Caseman Park now, there's a lot of wildlife around. So (laughs) 
<laughs> have you seen plans for it? I thought I seen plans before for it, but do you know anything about it? Do you know what, what what's going on with it? I haven't heard a lot about it. I just know they're looking at me and you give out about Daily Mount Park every week and saying, lads, yeah, <laughs> come up yeah. in, have a look what's going on here. I believe there's just been delays upon it. Like, hands on her, we, me and you are not GAA heads. We've made that very probably, I'm sure well known to anybody that's listened to the podcast more than 20 minutes. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be too into the particulars that are going on of, of Casement Park. But I just know the delays have been absolutely eye-watering and the hopeful and the word hopeful that it will be ready for five years where you know we look at like the everton stadium that, that has been picked ahead of a uh, ahead of anfield uh, for liverpool and that's gonna be what's that why is that next year that's gonna be ready and it's yeah looks set in stone where casement park seems to be an absolute nightmare so i was surprised to see it i know windsor park there, is up there must there, be a lot that, of positivity uh, around capacity. it though yeah there must be like i said about windsor park like, but i think that the capacity is far too low what's wins are eighteen thousand or something like that yeah so yeah no there must be very confident that's, that's going to be ready to uh to go ahead at the time and the fans it will be state of the art because it'll be band spanking new but as you said looking at photos of it it's really really worrying isn't it it's it's just it's it's an absolute non-gore at the moment so i'd say there'll be fingers crossed plenty, plenty of uh, nail biting as the, the years lead up to it i wonder if it didn't come to fruition is Crow Park something that they might fall back on? Maybe that. Yeah, how, how well. lenient is is the one stadium, one city rule? Um, yeah, yeah. Or would they just you know go? There is other ones elsewhere, isn't there? Over in the, in the UK that we've mentioned, uh, yeah. a lot of them that even tweaking them, if they want to put stick another one, want to walk with the the uh, the, the rugby side of things. Now I am not. I am not really interested in this bid. Uh, I. <laughs> I don't get why they have five countries in it. It's it, it's it's it, England's bid, and we're just along for the ride ourselves. Northern Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. Yeah. I think if England could go it alone, do you think they have a lot of bad will coming out of the the uh, the Euro twenty twenties with the last yes. with the water final the Wembley? I think if they could go alone, they would go it alone. But reading through the lines of your way for coming out of that tournament, they were not happy whatsoever. I I genuinely think we are just going along for the rides. I seen that uh, uh, FEI CEO Jonathan Hill was saying that it would bring in the uh, the Irish economy approximately uh, I think it was two hundred and forty million euro, and uh, it could be the catalyst to seek uh, financial infrastructure for Irish football from grassroots football to the League of Ireland. I he think that's all. That. Just yeah, it's always it's just it's just <laughs> they always the grassroots yeah. in there, don't they? Yeah, yeah always. Very rarely Look, look, yeah, it is buzzwords because you look at GAA uh, clubhouses all around the country, how fine every single one of them are around. And then you look at what the football clubs around Ireland have to deal with. Very little help going on there from uh, from the government, uh, mostly, I have to say. And the FAI need to sort of get the finger out there and help a, a lot more. I know they are doing little bits, but, you know, the GAA are just... Uh, they make a show of them. Let's put it that way. Let's put it that way. Anyhow, yeah. so, uh, yeah, so England probably will get an automatic place and all the others won't. And then none of them will probably qualify and it'll only be England and we'll all be just looking at an odd game. Uh, that's what annoys me about it. I think if Ireland and the UK were in it, great. Or, or UK or England and Scotland or England and Ireland, I'd say great. You know, that's fine. Or England and Wales, if that's what they wanted to do. And the two of them qualified. I, I think to be part of it, 
you need to be in it. And I think if we don't qualify, you're just not going to get that buzz. I think it's just going to be, ah, there's a game on. And, you know, so to say it'll be a, a festival or uh, won't really, unless you're part of it, it's not a festival. How about we seen it? Two years or three years ago in 2020, didn't we? When we got a brilliant song, of course, we were going to get games in the Aviva Stadium. As soon as we found out that, that Ireland wasn't going to be involved in the games in the Aviva, I think we both said in the podcast, I was going to do Walker, so I was a little bit like, oh, that'd be good. Yeah, I remember you saying just could not care less, and that was the sentiment yeah. of most people in the country. Once yeah. you're not involved, you couldn't care less. It's and even I just I never understand how Feasby Dublin can do it. It's I probably said it at the time, looking at Dublin Air, because you're going to get people travelling over from all over, depending who's going to be playing in Dublin. Dublin Airport is probably one of the worst countries in Europe in terms of accessibility from the airport to the city. The city itself, the transport links are really, really outdated compared compared to probably every other uh, nation that's involved in this bids. Hotels are horrifically expensive and few and far between. It's, it's impossible, you'd imagine, to be getting accommodation when these games do come to town. So, yeah, I, I'm in the same boat as you, mate. I, great to see Ireland be involved in it, but great to see Ireland rep, be represented in Dublin in a major European competition. But the bid as a whole, I really couldn't care less. I couldn't care less if we are unsuccessful. I think the... Uh, there's going to be an influx of money into the into the economy based off this, but looking at it from a League of Ireland point of view, Roy, and that's, that's the reason I always come at these sort of things, rightfully or wrongly, I don't think it's going to make any difference whatsoever. It didn't make a difference when the football boom in the country was, you know, after the 88 Euros and Italian 90. Yeah. Didn't make a single... I, I, I know it wasn't around for those, but in hindsight, it didn't make a single Maybe difference. Maybe you were born off then. the back of it, Nathan. Maybe I was, yeah. Was it? <laughs> the only thing there wasn't a Nathan in the squad, so the the name was off there. Um, but yeah, running around a little Ray or something, a little, little Paul. Yeah, yeah I was definitely asking questions. But yeah, coming off the back of those, I, I just can't see it really. And I know I think it was reading somewhere like the Tim Clancy and other League of Ireland figures were, were hoping this could really push on and be and be the team that pushes the facilities over the line and makes sure that we, that the FEI divvies out. Uh, finances and helps us improve facilities and get people through the gates I just can't see it off the can't back of a successful or an unsuccessful bid yeah you can hope but I, yeah you can't see it listen no. I, if, if Ireland qualify for it there'd be a huge buzz that's that's really what I'm saying the, the qualification part that irks me if you don't if you have to qualify if there's that many teams no I was looking at bids for the World Cup and stuff like that and they have you know, the three teams, America, Mexico and Canada. Canada. Why did you need to treat them? One of them can hold it, you know. So why did they have yeah. to treat them? They don't need to do that. So don't no. have one place do it. The size of them three places, like, they yeah, do not ridiculous. need it. I don't, yeah. I don't, it. It really irks me now, I have to say. Anyhow, uh, let's get off of that because I'll get into bad form about that. Okay, we'll, again, I think we'll, we'll quickly go on to the League of Ireland league tables because and just after that we'll be talking about Athlone Town and uh, the latest update but things have kind of changed it's like the 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 it's been, the league has been torn slightly upside down Shamrock Rovers same paths everyone was having a little bit of a chuckle there's been a bit of a turnaround and, and, and in fairness the turnaround from those teams has coincided with the little slump on the teams who made a good start yeah, you're coming off the back of Easter weekend and then the most recent round of fixtures, as you said, both looking at St. Pat's, Shamrock Rovers have really benefited from it. 
probably the game of the weekend, Roy. And <laughs> just step in if you, if you think the old the, the bias hat is coming on. Uh, watching it in Dalyman Parks, uh, Bohemians against St. Pat's, three uh, two win uh, for Pat's boat. Mate, uh, this game had it. Did you see it, Roy? Oh, were you we too busy? No, I was watching, watching Rovers the, uh, and Rovers Shelburne. Else. That's grand. We'll uh, we get you to do the heavy lifting on that. So <laughs> honestly, when we watch it, this is probably one of the best Dublin derbies I've seen. In quite a long time, I had everything. Both both teams had a, 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 a men sent off, cracking goals, penalty shouts galore. It was just really, really was one of those. Uh, Wars wouldn't do his justice. I've not even seen it. I was not talking about it. If not, go out and even just try and have a little look at the highlights because even the highlights won't do it much. But absolutely cracking 90 minutes of football, a real, real um, advertising for the product that is the League of Ireland. But yeah, Yildirim for St. Pat's brings them up to second place, uh, second place, four points off uh, Bohemians at the top. Now we've gone on a five-game unbeaten run. It's mad how it turns around, isn't it, Roy? You are looking at Tim, Tim Clancy was probably looking down the the barrel of a going at one stage with Pat's going uh, three games without uh, without a win, a three-game uh, losing streak earlier on the season. But a slight change of formation you, you could probably see coming in for Tim opting for a, a 4 2 3 1 at certain stages and then advancing up to it to his uh, usual 4 3 3 in a more attacking sense and things like that. So that probably has worked out wonders for him, but a really, really turnaround for Tim Clancy uh, at Richmond Park. And when you're starting to pick up the wins against Cork City and UCD, no disrespect to two sides that are in the bottom two. My worry was, you know, when you do face the Bowers and the Shamrock Rovers next week and the Terriers the week after that. We start dropping points and you're sort of back to square one, but this is a brilliant start for, for the three difficult games coming up, getting a win against Bowers, who have been bar of defeat to Shamrock Rovers before the game on Friday, were in absolute, oh, sorry, Shamrock Rovers and Shelbourne earlier in the season, have been in absolute flying form and really, really good to watch. And look, a lot of puzzles for Bowers on the night too, but really, really a lot to be looking forward to as, as the same Pats fan. Uh, so the, what did you make of games. Bowers? I really, really like to look at them. I think some of what you thought they were when this before the season started. Oh yeah, big time, big big time. I thought he would have really really struggled with. And fairness, you always expect him when Declan Devine was going to go in. He went in last season uh, late on. You thought he would just took the six seven games, whatever he did have to fill the place out. And he got rid of a lot of people. People he obviously thought weren't up to the standard that he was expecting. So brought an influx of new faces in, and you, you were thinking that's going to take him a while here to gel and get together, but really really excellent uh i thought adam mcdonald in particular in that midfield and scored a cracking volley now uh, to open up the scoring but he's really really running things there i thought that was that's a position that they've been lacking for a long time but you have to keep bookley coming back in have adam mcdonald there uh ali cute who was out injured at the minute he's been excellent for balls this season so yeah it, it, it's a really really positive uh step up for balls and something that I wasn't expecting i actually thought Declan would have struggled uh in his fourth year to even get european football but they look absolutely brilliant. And the only thing you could probably pick out, and they, they haven't scored in goals freely this season, is the lack of an out and out central striker. But there is lads in there that you, you could look at them. Um, if they were to step up and go on a bit of a scoring run, that, that can nullify that. But yeah, I was really impressed by their midfield play um, throughout the course of the season. Uh, was, even on Friday night, even though they got beaten, it was good to look at. But throughout the course of the season, yeah, they, they've been really, really some key figures in that midfield for both. Well, when you look at their, their scoring rate, they've played 10 games, they scored 15 goals in those 10 games. That is only, that is toured to 
Shamrock Rovers and St. Pat's who are flying at the moment. So there's goals there. There's obviously goals around the team. And when you look at someone like yeah. Shelbourne who have only scored eight in their 10 games, and you could see that with, with them, even though they scored two against Shamrock Rovers, Shells have looked like they're finding it hard to score goals, even though their play, and I'll go on to that game, the Shamrock Rovers and, and Shelbourne game, really, really good game. I thought it was the next game. I thought Shells are going to be really tough to beat every game that you play this year because they don't they don't stop they don't give up there's good quality their build up play is excellent they've got a passion desire everything that you want from them they're just missing someone clinical up front and when I look at that stats for Bowes and they've scored twice as many goals as Shelbourne have it just shows me that they might get away with it because they might have goals coming from all over the park where Shells you know I'm not really getting them in from anywhere and if that game had went on a little bit longer Rovers might have pipped them for that game but uh, I thought Shelbourne were well worth the, the draw in that game it was really good to see and as we said at the start of the season we fancied Shelbourne to push on and if they can sort out their goal scoring thing I, I can't I can see them sneaking into that top four anyhow yeah, because the defensive it, it, uh, part of pitch is an issue at all. I think the Perseverance and Derby City have the, the joint best defensive record right, for, yeah. uh, uh, in, in the Premier Division. So that doesn't seem to be the issue. And it's mad, like, if we're looking at Shells, I thought with them coming into the season, I know Shane Farrell has struggled with injury, but yeah, Jack Moylan, who was free scoring for them last year, Matty Smith there as well. Um, I thought it was goals within them. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange one to, uh, to be struggling with. But yeah, just like I know, like I said, just going back to Bowes for a second, there is lads there that will chip in, you know, with like, the Dean Williams and uh, Jonathan uh, Afalabi, who was actually excellent as well on Friday night, a real handful. Yeah, you just feel that Shells, which is strange with the caliber player that you have there, they're the, the lacking them sort of th- those guys that will be chipping in. It's only Jack Moylan's record this season. He's got one or two goals. Mm-hmm. I think that, that's really a compared to when he finished up as a top goal scorer at the club last year. So. I actually thought it would have been the other way around. I thought goals wouldn't have been an issue for Shells at all when you look at who they have going forward. Yeah, well, maybe they're going to iron those creases out. Maybe that'll change throughout the season. Uh, just to give it the thumbs up to UCD because everyone thought that they were drifting away, well, dropping like a rock in the ocean, but that was a great win against Cork. And, and they just did that last year. They kept themselves in it and then they got a couple of results and... You wouldn't be surprised if they if they kind of against those bottom teams uh, that they got a few points and and maybe crept themselves out of that bottom place. Cork just need to be careful. They just need to be careful. They they, they it's a bit of positivity there around them, and that's a, a result that could shake them a little bit. Uh, when we go on to the first division and you look at Galway United, funny Waterford if they win their game in hand only got or go seven points behind Galway even though Galway have won every single game and we look at what Galway have won every single game and Waterford seem to have such a, a rocky start to the league there's a long way to go on this Nathan isn't there like Galway yeah. they can't presume that they it only takes a couple of results and all of a sudden Waterford are all over them yeah they look good at Roy don't they uh, at the minute 10 points clear and no wins and no win uh, best Record in terms of goal scoring and best record in terms yeah. of, of conceding. So there's no even that yeah there's no even holes and you know we look at the next three they're playing uh, Kerry City away from home, Cove Ramblers at home and uh, Longfort away from home. So there is points to be picked up there for Galway too. And yeah, they really really do look look seriously impressive. Um, playing on a John Caulfield this season, I was actually so 
obviously massive win, six 0 against Bray Ryan. It was a real, real uh, statement victory. I was expecting a similar uh, scoreline in the RSC when you're looking at Waterford uh, playing Kerry FC, but yeah. Waterford only coming out one 0 winners uh, on the night of Ronan Cochran goal in the 78th minute. He's actually been in flying form for them this year. In fairness to Ronan, I've been quite uh, critical of him in the past, but it's his fifth goal of the season since coming in for the Blues uh, in the in the off season. So they'd be delighted with that. But uh, no, for Kerry City, and I'll be down be saying cuteos and patting people out on the back um, after getting beaten. But I really, really was affecting the worst for them, especially coming off. They've had some uh, real, real battles over the past couple of weeks, and you're looking at a Waterford side with a lot of uh, attacking talents. I was fearing the worst for them. Yeah. Um, when did it get called Kerry City? Did they change their name? Kerry FC. Apologies to everyone. Sorry about that. Yeah. But it is it a city, so there you go. They'd be delighted. <laughs> um, they've grabbed a couple of points. Treaty now are finding that this is the third. The, the season that's kind of changed everything for them. Uh, it's a little bit of a struggle now. Uh, we t- didn't think Longford would struggle as much as they have. Finn Harps have torn things around slightly Neither and a couple, of, a couple of wins and, and they're right back in it again. So And they needed it badly. Um, you've got the likes of Wexford, Athlone, Cove and Bre- It could be anyone between those. Anyone. It's yeah. just the, your form. If you can just hit a good bit of form and, and you can drift away from them. But what happens here is everyone beats everyone and you just don't know what way it's going to go. Um, with Athlone though, Nathan... There's a bit of an update, isn't there? Yeah, so this is a strange one. So, first of all, brilliant win for, for Atlanta Town, uh, beating Cole Rambles 2-0 two, two um, on Friday night. It was probably, I actually thought it was a surprise, looking how well Cove have got on. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the curious case of the Atlanta Town manager. <laughs> <laughs> probably something we've talked about a good bit over the past uh, number of years. So, look, we'll start off with what we do now. And this was made official by uh, Atlanta Town. Um, on the social media pages, that the appointment of Gordon Brett as their new head coach. So Gordon uh, started the season off as co-manager with Dermot Lennon. It's obviously a strange situation when you have uh, joint managers at the club. Obviously Dermot took over in uh, April 2022, replacing uh, Martin Russell. Mm-hmm. So we do know that Gordon Brett is now going to be the, the sole head coach and uh, Dermot Lennon is now going to go and act as the club's director of football. It's a role that he's held before taking over uh, the manager role in April 2022. So all simple enough there, Roy, on paper. But over Easter weekend, it's something that we did miss last week. Uh, the game, I think they were playing Bray in the Carlisle grounds. And it was rumoured by a lot of unofficial pages doing the rounds on Twitter. Because we all know they're the best sources, and the unofficial Twitter fake. pages. Uh, yeah, that's what we live and die of. And it was uh, being rumoured that both Gordon Brett and Dermot Lennon uh, weren't in attendance and weren't even on the bench for the game uh, against Bray Wanderers. And that a guy by the name of Dario Costello, a Portuguese uh, coach who's involved with their partner club, uh, Vallejo FC, over in America, so it's believed that uh, Dario Costello was the man in charge of that game and that both Gordon Brett and Dermot Lennon were out of the club or or they were out of, out of the club or not the manager. Nothing was confirmed. The club never said anything. All this was going off and the club were quiet about it. But thankfully we do, thankfully for the Atlanta Town fans, we do have confirmation that Gordon Brett is the head coach and remains involved with the underage system, something that he's done for the past five years. And Dermot Lennon returns to his uh, director of football uh, role. And if anyone's heard of, from uh, Dario Costello, let us know he's all right. Because um, <laughs> what were we sick about here? Just ever since uh, that one random game 
at Bray and the Carlisle grounds. He's the manager. No, he's not the manager. No one knows. No one's even heard from Dario. We don't even know if Dario is a real person. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. It's, um, Maybe time's it's... right because it, it, it looks like, oh no, here we go again. Didn't it for Atlone Town? And... Well, this this is so Atlone Town, isn't it? You yeah. know, this is you just don't know. I mean, the Cubs are next back, week. Yeah, that, yeah, and that's the problem with Atlone. Yeah. They, there is no stability within that club at all whatsoever. Yeah, I I, I would not like to be a supporter or, or even within that club the way they, they it does be run and, and chopped and changed. They don't give themselves any chance at all. It must be so frustrating to be down there. Um, listen, we'll see how it goes. Maybe this is the part where it's going to be, you know, stable and it kicks on and whatever. But it doesn't sound good. And like on paper again, it's something that we've been finding out for. We've been talking about. You know, Atlanta as as a town itself, it's such a football focused town. There's there's no mm. like major GAA involvement. You have a great um the IT is I think it's still an IT that's out there now. It could actually be the university. I'm sorry for me, uh, me lack of, of knowledge on that one. So and it just doesn't seem to be any sort of link between the football club, between the the IT the university, anything at all out there. You have someone in Gordon Brett that has been involved with, with the uh, the club. I think I've seen it until he's like the age of five or six so he's been involved in the club pretty much his whole life played with Athlone he was the, the, the video analysis he was an underage coach for a long time under 21s coach everything like that as his assistant manager at one stage for the first team so someone that knows the club in and out and someone that on paper Athlone needs to be at the helm that understands the town that understands mm-hmm. what the club stands for. for such such an old club with a lot of history there so on paper like you, you are rooting for me you think god oh, this is the guy that the court really get an identity but we're at Lone Town but as you said they, they don't do themselves any favours they, they really they start to, they really need to start giving people time to, to settle into the role and to get an understanding of it but we could be here in three months talking about Liam Buckley as the new at Lone Town manager it, yeah, it's I know, I know it's hard yeah, to tell it's, yeah a little bit of a joke how it's uh, been run down there at the moment unfortunately okay Nathan uh, we have a fan question I love this one I loved this one. I think you've seen it, yeah? No, I haven't. I, 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 I mean, not look. No, I don't think so. Oh, I'm gonna read it out then for Bateman. That's all right. It's, it's a, it's an email, but it's, it's not overly long. It's good. It's good. You'll get it. Okay. So uh, we got this one in from uh, Gerard Fitzmorris at the Big Kickoff ninety six point four at gmail dot com. So that's the email address you can get us that if you want to send us in. So here we go. It's, again, not that long, but I want to read it over here. Uh, hello, the big kickoff lads. Greetings from Western Australia. Oh, I do remember something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because no one like it's not like Western Australian emails are, are coming in those taken fast. I'm really grateful to have found this podcast as it is tough to keep up with League of Ireland matches with the time difference. Keep up the great work. Thanks very much, mate. We appreciate it. I'm originally from Limerick and have been an on and off fan of Limerick FC over the years. Jordan Cover, I accidentally became addicted to football manager. Didn't we all go out? Didn't we all? So much so I managed to take three United uh, to promotion to the Premier Division and even attached a photo <laughs> of proof, which I love it. Picks or it didn't happen. I love that. Absolutely. Treat your lights at Limerick FC have a long history, but in a minuscule semi-professional club that has kept afloat with capital investment. From growing up in Limerick, I witnessed quite a few talented footballers part ways with the game before they reached 18. Fun fact about Gerard, he used to play uh, a schoolboy level with Ireland's own Connor Murray, who was a promising football player in his time too. Not a bad rugby player either. On to his question. My question is, 
if you became the director of a small club like Treaty, what changes would you make and why? How would you generate uh, more interest in playing football at a local level? Enjoy the rest of the season. Go road. Yeah, that, that's... Um, I, 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 I 100% remember it. It was only when you started saying about Australia. Oh, I forgot. That was that was a good few weeks ago, wasn't it? It was so a few weeks ago. So I totally, I totally forgot it. about it since then. So apologies, Garoud. I remember that re- uh, really well because that image of the, the Treat United football manager was Steady. brilliant. <laughs> um, so yeah, forward to Annika. How did I even forget that? Uh, yeah, first of all, his question. How how do you push someone like Treaty United on? How do you make it the town? I, I just think it's just not even Treaty. Well, you can stick a Treaty if you want to, but even yourself, or yeah, Luke and United, you know, sticking in as, as a director and or any League of Ireland club. Yeah, how, how, what what decisions would you make if you went in as a director at a club and into Lincoln uh, with the local uh, Local club, local club, local community, whatever it may be, get people involved with local football. I know this is something you're really passionate with, so I'm going to let you run away with it in two seconds. The only thing with my, actually similar to growth, in terms of running football clubs, the only experience I have is at football manager level. And even that is very, very futile. So the one thing I will say I'd like to see clubs do is get a better knowledge and understanding. And some clubs do have it, some clubs don't, so it's not a knock on anybody in particular. Get people in to have an understanding on grants and understanding on applications, things like that, and how to to work the system and to go about doing those sort of things. It might sound basic, but it's mad to think that there is a lot of League of Ireland clubs out there that don't have someone in the background team that, you know, after the liaison for these sort of things, so that'd be my one off the top of my head. Um, yeah, but I'm going to let you look away because I, I know this, say this that there's a, <laughs> I'd say there's a lot more who are clued into that now. Um, I, I'm I can't speak for every club, but I would be very surprised if they're not. They're definitely missing a trick. Uh, that's that's something that's standard now for every football club around the country, amateur. Uh, they, they they seek it out uh, every year you know to see if they can get anything at all because it's uh, badly needed for all clubs for just simple things like nets and goals and stuff like that where you you could be you're talking about your infrastructure around stadiums when it comes to League of Ireland or cooking facilities or whatever it is but just to try and uh, boost yourself so that should be a, a simple thing I always said Nathan uh, I've said it before on here that the clubs need to have, and I've been critical of St. Pat's on this one because I didn't think they ever really did. I thought they did very poorly over the years. In They had the whole West of Dublin and they've let it slip. Yeah, I think that they need to reach out to the communities around them and look after the communities. And if they look after the communities, communities look after them. And I don't see... I, I see... The, that happening in, in certain places. I don't know what it's like down the treaty. I don't know how how well they're connected to the surrounding area, but there needs to be there needs to be the colours nearly flying in the city all the time, you know. And there needs to be posters up in the wall, big posters across where you'd normally see whatever it is, you know, aftershave or whatever big thing. Should be treat United game on this week, and you know, but it also should be a thing where there is. There's loads of football now where you'll have disabled football, uh, you'll have over 60 football or whatever it is, walking football. They need to get in with community and make sure that that they're seen to be helping the community. And if they do that, 
that it'll come back tenfold for them. I just think they all should be doing that. And and it, it, it can come around to everything else about, you know, how to fundraise and how to do that. But you have to have a bond with your area. You have to have a bond with the supporters. And the only way you get more supporters is if, if there's a connection there and with the people that are around you. And there's some people who wouldn't even be interested in football but they see that you're doing something great in the community. They see, see that you're doing something that's helping ordinary people. They're most likely to help you out. And I've seen that around and I've seen that before. So that's what I'd be looking at, first of all. I think that's huge. Uh, not I scratch your back, they scratch yours. But it's just, you know, make sure that you know that it's more than just football. It, and oh, you see it over in England cities, towns are built around their football club and that's yeah. the way it should be here. We've used it, the phrase community hubs, haven't we? Plenty of times when describing yeah. what League of Ireland clubs should be and it's it's definitely known to have mark. And I, I, as you said about St. Patrick, I can only really talk about my own club when looking at that and I, I've been critical myself about it where if like North Dublin is taken up by two teams, Shamrock Rovers have been pushed out to tally. So, like, you can't say that, you know, oh, the, the Dublin market is oversaturated. Parts are probably the most rich in terms of the catchment area. And it's it's a slow process, and it, it, it is being improved with community development officers and stuff, but that's something that should have been in place 15 years ago. It's something that's only relatively new uh, down in St. Pat's. So, yeah, it, it, it's definitely something that, that, that should be optimised. And as you said, it, it's as simple, isn't it, as just being present, being present in the community yeah. and, and and having a name and having a face and whether that be posters or school visits or just getting people involved. It's, it sounds simple on paper, but yeah, it, I, I, I can't say from, from a St. Pat's point of view it's something you struggled with for a long, long time until very recently. Absolutely. Don't expect them just to turn up on your door because you want them to turn up. You've got to entice them in and you've got to uh, show that you care about them just as much as they, uh, you want them to care about you. Okay, we're going to leave it there, Nathan. Uh, it's a, a, another good week of League of Ireland football and it's churning along now with, with the extra games. Interesting to see how the rest of the season goes. Um, thanks for everyone out there listening. We'll be back next week.